0: This week on the SSPX Podcast, we'll be sharing the parish mission from St. Vincent de Paul's in Kansas City as it was delivered in 2020. Today on the Wednesday of Holy Week, we'll be hearing from Father Michael Goldaddy on the topic of the crowning with thorns. If you would like to hear more parish missions, reflections, conferences, as well as our Crisis in the Church series and Questions with Father series, please visit sspxpodcast.com. Now we'll turn to the Wednesday evening conference from Father Goldaddy. Come Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of Thy faithful, and kindle in them the fire of Thy love. Send forth Thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and Thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who disinstruct the hearts of Thy faithful, by the light of the Holy Ghost, grant that by the gift of the same Spirit, to be ever truly wise, rejoice in His consolation, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with Thee. Blessed art Thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of Thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Mother of Sorrows, pray for us. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We come to day three, and we are following the Sorrowful Mysteries of the Rosary for our virtual mission. The third sorrowful mystery is the crowning of our Lord with thorns. The sacred head of our Lord has a crown and not just a a wreath, but a very cap of thorns on his head. It's a special torture that deserves its own consideration, both for its special pain, uh, but also because of its symbolism. The head is the most noble member of the body. Physically, of course, this is where the senses will collect information and it is changed into intellectual content that the mind can think about. Mentally, of course, there's a superiority of the head. This is where the the wonderful complex brain is, where all the other members of the body feed information and from where the rest of man is governed and of course spiritually because here resides the intentions the aspirations of human nature this is where the first operations of the intellectual soul of man are formed this is where the distinctions between good and evil are made choosing the good Choosing what is true, choosing what is right. All this is up there in the head. Right? So the head is a very noble member, the most noble member of the human body. The ancients would show recognition for great accomplishments, art, poetry, writing uh, by crowning the head with laurel, placing a crown of laurel on the uh, on the head, this noble member. Even athletes would receive a crown on the head. Of course, kings were crowned on the head. This would signify their wisdom and the dignity of their office. Even for ourselves, if, if we were ever in danger, an immediate reaction is to protect the head. The first impulse is to protect the head. It's precisely because of the honorable position of the head that the abuse to it is so much more significant. In the Old Testament there's a story of King David sending messengers to Hunan and they are mistreated. Uh, They are purposely insulted. How are they insulted? By having their heads shaved and half of their beards uh, cut off. A blow in the face is a special affront. You could say it's the highest affront. In the past, it was an invitation to a duel. A duel. Well, there's a duel going on in the Passion. A duel between the goodness of Christ and of course, the evil of his persecutors. So it shouldn't be a surprise that in the history of the Passion, we have a special affront to the Sacred Head with thorns. A second mocking of him as well, an opportunity for another mocking. He had been mocked the night before by the Jews in his imprisonment. And now he's going to be assailed by the Roman soldiers and mocked by them, mocked by the whole band. The evangelist St. Matthew, he gives us a description of this particular torment. So the Gospel reads, Then the soldiers of the governor, taking Jesus in the hall, gathered together unto him the whole band, and stripping him, they clothed him with purple. And plaiting a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand. And bowing the knee before him, they began to salute him, and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And spitting upon him, they took the reed and struck his head. We see that the scourging of our Lord was hardly over when this new suffering began. We read that the whole band, the cohort, took part in the sport of mocking the king. A mock king, as I saw. They took an old military coat, long discarded, and they threw it about the bruised and bleeding shoulders of Christ and in his holy hands bound they put a scepter, a broken reed and they looked for a suitable thing to be a crown and they came across the thorns. These thorns which they discovered by twining them together would work well for their purposes of mockery. Sharp thorns sharp thorns that pierce the sacred head of of our Lord. And we know from the relic of the crown of thorns, that relic brought back to France by King Louis IX, and also the same relic that was rescued in the fires not too long ago from the great uh, church of Notre Dame. Crown of thorns was in fact a cap. The reliquary itself is in a form of a wreath. It stretches out to be a cap, and this cap was put upon the head of our Lord, and so difficult was this instrument of torture to handle that the soldiers found it necessary to push it down on the head of our Lord with rods, and not only did they push it down, but they pushed it into the sacred head of our Lord, striking the head of our Lord. It's really impossible for us to imagine this suffering, the intensity of the pain that these thorns would have caused in the sacred head of Christ. St. Leonard of Port Maurice has an interesting comparison. He was a fiery Franciscan preacher of the 18th century and he gives this testimony. He says, a single thorn that penetrates the foot of a lion causes him so much pain that the king of the beast roars and rages and fills the forest with this howling. What a terrible pain then must be so many thorns, which penetrated not the padded foot, but the tender head of Jesus. Indeed, when the head suffers, the pain cannot be slight. And what would only be a slight pain in any other member of the body becomes in the head a veritable torture. The head is a very sensitive parts of the of the human anatomy. At all times, of course, throughout the Passion, our Lord would carry this torture with him. He will bear the crown of thorns to the cross. And there's a very practical and, and horrifying reason for this in that it could not be removed without directly causing the death of Christ. You take this cap of thorns out, he would have bled to death. So while the head of Jesus is racked with this pain, the soldiers admiring their their work, they mock him, they salute him with the most vile of insults. Doesn't take much imagination to paint the picture of this. But what's so astounding in our Lord, we could say the response of our Lord, is his silence. Our Lord endures it. He never complains. He doesn't cry out even at this hateful demonstration. He is quiet. And we see in all this another victory of Christ, another triumph of our Lord in this hour of the crowning with thorns. Ever since that day when our Lord is crowned, he has been the cause of of many a triumph. Many a corruptible crown has been discarded for the thorny crown of Christ. Generous souls prefer that crown. Many a youthful, generous heart has been moved and has preferred to live the hidden life in religion, in a cloister, than to wear a crown of worldly success. This is because of the the triumph of Christ in the crowning of thorns. And that thorn-crowned head of Christ still triumphs it still triumphs. Why? Because the causes of that particular suffering, they still exist. It's the most universal opinion of those who write on the crowning of thorns that our Lord endured the suffering in a special way to atone for the sins of thought. In a world so indifferent to the law of God, you could say that the, the greatest fault of humanity is that loss of the sense of sin, the loss of the sense of, of shame, of, of guilt for having offended God. But remember that God, from Sinai, thundered the last two commandments. He gave us two commandments uh, that forbade us against sins of thought. Thou shalt not covet the neighbor's wife, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods, thy neighbor's things. Covetousness, it's in the thought, desire of the thought. So we have to be reminded of the, the reality and the iniquity of these sins of the mind. It's conceivable that among the damned in hell, there are those who do not commit any evil action to put them there but nevertheless committed an evil thought a grievous thought that plunged them into hell that's sufficient the sins of thought uh, may be of different types we often talk about morbid desire, morbid delight. Uh, I should say. There is a joy that one can take in improper pleasure, in sins already committed. There can be a desire, a looking for ways to commit sins, to fulfill what is enjoyed in the thought in action. We have sins of thought that can be committed against justice, against charity, against faith, against hope, against prudence, against temperance. So many different types of offenses against God just through thought alone. And see how displeasing to God these sins of thought are just in this torture of the thorn-crowned head of our Lord. What a great responsibility those carry who instill bad thoughts by writing improper things, suggestive things, um, making bad movies, immodesty, all sorts of ways that engender bad thoughts into their, their spectators. What a great responsibility. Those that make their livelihood through um, calumny, through detraction. Those whose purpose is to sow discord in the thoughts of others. Suspicions in the thoughts of others, rash judgments in their readers. What a great responsibility they have. A cooperation in the sense of thoughts of others. Listen to the the condemnation of Christ upon the sins of thought. He says in the Gospel of St. Matthew, For from the heart come forth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false testimonies, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man, says our Lord. It all begins inside. It all begins in the thought, in the intention. We can see in this this third Sorrowful Mystery, an attack as well upon the kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord is King. Our Lord is King and his enemies say, just like Satan said, I will not serve. Christ is King. Christ is King in his church. Christ is King through his church. The church is what we call supranational. It stands above the nations of the world. It's not contained by any one of them. He is king of families. It's a great moment when the family can invite our Lord into their house, enthrone him, make him king in their home, state that his laws are their laws. He rules in that way in families. And I I recommend so much to our families to have that enthronement, a special ceremony of Christ within the home and to state, I'm not going to allow anything come into this home that will contradict the kingship of Christ. And of course, Christ is king of our soul. His rule is supernatural. He rules through grace, through supernatural life. Grace has an influence on us. We act so much differently, so much better under the influence of grace. That's a, it's a governing of Christ over the soul. What a gentle and sweet and peaceful rule that is. It's not a tyrannical rule of our passions, the tyrannical rule of the temptations of the devil or the temptations of the world. We're telling Christ I'm here to serve you. I'm not gonna follow those that say I will not serve. Those that commit sins through thoughts, they say that I will not serve. No, I submit my thoughts to Christ, to the influence of his grace. So my dear faithful, let our Lord conquer your heart. Let him conquer your heart in this horrific scene of the crowning of thorns in this horrific scene of our Lord's humiliation. And resolve, resolve to watch over your thoughts. Guard your mind against the assaults of the world, the flesh, the devil. Guard your eyes in what they see and what they read. In general, of course, to guard all of your senses. We have to be on the alert, especially if we know through experience our weakness and the different areas in which that weakness can be exploited. We have to be very much uh, on guard in our senses. We can continue a bit of a self-examination here. Guard yourself against other thoughts, the sins of pride, the sins of arrogance, the thoughts of pride, the thoughts of arrogance, thoughts of anger, rebellious thoughts, and of course the impurities of the mind. All these we fight, mortify, fight them right in the beginning, so they don't take off. And give yourself to our Lord Jesus Christ. Make him your king. Make him the king of your heart. Make him the king of your home.